Hey, good evening. Hey, guys. Um, hey, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Can I do that? Father, um, <clears throat> your love never fails. It never gives up. Never runs out, Father. Um, Lord, we want to live this truth, God. We want to not just uh, sing these lyrics a couple times a week, gather together, encourage each other, build each other up, Lord. We want to be the kind of believers that um, are experiencing this kind of love on a daily basis. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, God, that you love jacked-up sinners like me. So undeserving of that, uh, and that love is so weighty. I want us... I want in my own life, Lord, may I make that real. Um, God, show up tonight. Be glorified. Edify these people. Um, may we look more like you. May we hear from your word. May we fall more in love with you, the God who loves us so well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, um, sorry. Uh, not a good start to be crying this much at the beginning. Um, this is going to be a disaster, guys. Um, dang it. Uh, yeah, so, um, dang, I really, I love that song, and um, I just, I am overwhelmed with that concept, and um, I just, I want us to be overwhelmed with that concept. We are going through this series, right? You guys saw the cute bumper, um, Turning the World Upside Down. We're looking at disciples in the book of Acts, these men who were radical disciples, and through their radical discipleship, they made other disciples. And in doing so, there was 11 men that then came 120, that's now billions of people who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior on this planet. And so if you're joining us, if you're new, or we're we're catching you up, uh, what we're doing is we're going through a series of how do we do that? How do we become disciples who make disciples? How do we become these radical disciples that get to be a part of how God just flips people's worlds upside down? I want that. I want people to experience the love of God that I have been showed, and I think we should. So uh, real quick, that's where we're at. I want to recap a little bit of, of kind of what we've seen so far in the last few weeks. The first is that a radical disciple, these kind of disciples, they are disciples who have encountered Christ. That's what we talked about. We, we looked at this picture in Acts of people who said, I cannot but speak what I have seen and what I have heard. They had an encounter with Christ. So a radical disciple that God uses in this way has to have encountered Jesus Christ. If you are in this room and you haven't encountered Christ, um, we're glad you're in this room. That's awesome. This series isn't necessary. This is kind of a family talk where we're talking to believers to then encourage them. But you are welcome here. We want you to keep coming. We want you to take your time with that. We want you to get to know and encounter this God. So stay with us. Uh, You're in the right place. Um, But that was the first element of these radical disciples. They encountered Christ. The second one was they had the perspective of Christ. They had the perspective. Paul talks about it's to live as Christ, to die as gain. So no matter what they go through, No matter what disciples go through, the ups and downs, if their life is not their own, they can handle it. If they're dead to themselves and alive in Christ, they can handle it and they can persevere through any perspective. Uh, And then last week, um, Tyler spoke from Acts 17 and he talked about radical disciples 
build bridges so the gospel can cross. So he got real practical in this picture where Paul goes to the Athenians and he, he makes this argument. He sees an idol that doesn't have a, a god. It says to the unnamed god. Basically, they were like, hey, if we forgot one, we got idols to everybody, the moon god and the fertility god and the river god. But if we forgot one, this is the, un, uh, the unknown, the unnamed god. And Paul connects with their culture, knows their culture well enough, and he builds this bridge, and he's able to preach the gospel knowing them, motivated by the glory of God and motivated by his love for people. He builds this bridge. And Tyler talked about, he used the illustration of like an ace bandage, whenever you have a hamstring injury, and you know you've got to wrap that area with an ace bandage, that we are disciples who make disciples who can build bridges and know where people are hurting, know where people's idols are, know where those holes in their life is, and then speak into those areas with love. So where we're going tonight is um, I'm going to talk one big idea that a radical disciple has to love people radically for the sake of the gospel. That's it. A radical disciple loves people radically for the sake of the gospel. Pretty, uh, pretty broad, pretty general idea, um, but it's such an important thing to grasp. That if we build this bridge with people, and yet we're not loving them well, they're never going to cross this bridge of the gospel. Loving radically for the sake of the gospel. The gospel. 2,000 years ago, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our perfect God came to earth, became a man, walked this earth, and took on the penalty that I deserve. This love that never fails that we sing about, that is the summation of that love. The cross of Jesus Christ. And he hung on a cross 2,000 years ago in history and his lungs filled with blood and he took on the weight of the sin of the world of everyone in this room so that through him, my faith in that perfect sacrifice, I get to have a relationship with the perfect God throughout all eternity. And I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to do all the list of do's and don'ts to try to tip the scale in my favor. In fact, the scale says I'll never do it. In fact, all I have to do is say, my life is not my own. It is buried in Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Woe to us if we minimize that gospel. Woe to us if we hear that gospel, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, death, burial, resurrection, and we say, right, right, we got that. We did that in junior high. We did that at VBS. I've already done that. That was kind of step, step one. Let's move on to more varsity-level Christianity. Woe to us. I think we make that mistake all the time inadvertently, and I think it's inadvertent. I don't think... People in this room who might stumble with that. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's this malicious thing. I think it's that we aren't recognizing the power of the gospel. That the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is our way for transformation. Maturity, Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z. And the rest of my Christian life is figuring out Ways that that gospel truth, that my life is not my own and it's buried in Christ, that that applies to different areas of my life. Different dark corners that I haven't applied it to. In big ways and small ways. It shapes my identity as a man. It shapes how I interact with my wife. 
It shapes how I interact with somebody in traffic. It shapes how I interact with the internet. It shapes uh, my, my goals in life, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 50-year plan. It shapes all of those things. The gospel should shape all of those things and that my sanctification, my maturity as a believer should be rooted in that truth. How can I take this picture of Jesus, death for me, my life, not my own. How can I take this and through the word of God, apply it to different facets and push into other areas? Because every part of my growth as a believer is somewhere going to be rooted back to that. And if it's not, I would say, woe to us. What are we rooting it in? Are we becoming legalists? Are we becoming just moralists? Woe to us. Loving radically for the sake of the gospel. That is, uh, that's the big picture. That's where we're going. Um, and uh, and I... Uh, I can't help but to hear myself say that, big idea, love radically, it's got to be, man, that's got to be top five most cliche church things, right? Like top five in church, love people radically. So what I want to do tonight is I really want to unpack this. I don't want to just leave this hanging and we all leave and say, okay, great. Man, didn't see that one coming at church. The guy told us to love people as Christians. I want us to dig into Acts, and I want us to, to kind of till up some of, those, uh, some of those pictures that we see in Acts, real practical application of what it looks like to, to love radically. The ice days were fun, eh? Yeah? Some of you, it was fun. Some of you, it was maybe a disaster. It gave me an opportunity uh, the last couple of days just to keep rereading Acts, reading it and, and rereading it. And one of the things I noticed in this book of Acts, I mean, there's... 50. There's probably a million. I'm just not digging deep enough. Um, great stories, examples, these narratives of radical disciples, the kind of people that God uses to just flip things on their head, loving people in radical ways. Um, it's all throughout there. I want to dig deep, and I just want to till up three tonight, three applications. That's it. And I want us to really apply them. And if, and if you look at them, they're not the only three ways, they're not, but I want us to say, if we just applied these three this day, this week, this month, this year, what would God do with these three? And I want to challenge us in that way, and if those three aren't challenging enough, you can talk to me afterwards, I'll give you three more, and if those you think you got checkmarked, then we could talk, because you probably have a serious skew of how good you think you are at uh, doing this thing. Um, so uh, so that's, where we're, um, that's where we're going. I want to... Uh, I want to first. Um, I want to first give a. Uh, yeah, I want to define love. So, um, w- if you would, First Corinthians thirteen. If you got your Bibles, I want us to look at this picture of uh, of love, <clears throat> and I want to ask the question: Why? I think we all know as Christians and and as people who are at least just are willing to show up to a church on a Wednesday night that yeah, love is a good thing, uh, but why? Why is loving people such a good thing? Chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic power and understanding all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do we hear that? If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, 
Can I borrow your stick, Richard? Thanks. And have not love, I am a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, and have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain. Is that what we sound like? Is that what we sound like to the rest of the world? As we're reading our scripture and doing the things we're supposed to be doing, is that what we sound like? Because 1 Corinthians 13 says, that's how I sound if I don't have love. This noisy gong and clanging cymbal. Love, loving people. If we don't do that well, then we can all just go home. If people are showing up because we've got a great band and food and they're in your life because you're a nice person or because we've got a speaker who's real high energy and goofy and uses props, right? And we don't love well, then the gospel will be ineffective. We have nothing. That's scary. I, I don't know, um, but if I were to take a poll right now of the world, the, the world who doesn't claim to know Christ, the world who doesn't show up at church on Sunday and Wednesday, and we ask them the question, are Christians loving? Are Christians loving people? I don't know what they would say. I really don't. I intentionally didn't do research because I was afraid it would make me mad. Because I'm scared of what the world would say, how they see us. If we look at the rest of the world and we ask them, even just in America, are Christians loving? I am scared what they would ask, answer. And I can't control that. Right? I can't control the perception of the church in America. I can control me. And I can challenge myself to be loving. And Tyler can work on him. And Casey can do him. And we can admonish and encourage us as a community to do that. And this can be a community that's loving. <clears throat> and that's where, uh, that's where we've got to start. Radical disciples love radically for the sake of the gospel. Why? Because without loving, we can all go home. It's ineffective. We've got nothing. They will not cross that bridge of the gospel, no matter how savvy or clever or quick-witted or great musicians we are. They will not cross it without love. That is, uh, that's sobering. Okay, so what is love? Let me try to put some uh, definition on this. This is going to be tricky because love is uh, hard to de- you know, define. It's uh, a big word. Well, it's four letters, not a big word. But it's hard to define. Um, in, uh, in the Old Testament, the word love, I'm going to pull up my cool stool here. In the Old Testament, uh, the word love actually has three different words to define it. Uh, raya, ahava, and dod are three different words that are all used that we in our English translation of the Old Testament just refer to as love. So when you're reading your Bible, it just says love. So even in Hebrew, they had three different words to talk about different nuances of love and different angles of love. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's this thing that as we try to wrap our mind around, it should take us a, a lifetime to really grasp. Let's look at uh, the next few verses in 1 Corinthians 4 through 7. It's a pretty popular uh, wedding verse. Um, and, and Paul is just going to lay down some adjectives and some shapes to this word love. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. 
It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, that's convicting, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Um, that, is a, that is a working definition of, of Paul. He uses 15 uh, modifiers in there, in just these few verses, to describe, let me put some shapes around this word love. Let me kind of paint a, a couple of angles around what love is as we're trying to unpack it for people. And so he gives these 15 modifiers. It's patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy or boast. He's trying to unpack what this word love looks like. Um, In 2004, I told my wife, Danielle, that I loved her for the first time. And we were on the floor of her mom's office, well, in in her house, in her mom's house, in their, like, little house office. And we're sitting on the floor, uh, sitting on the floor, <clears throat> that wasn't me getting choked up. That was just sinuses. Um, yeah, I'm not an emotional guy. All right? um, and, uh, and I told her, looked her in the eyes, said, Danielle Archibald. Her name was Archibald. Um, uh, and I said, I love you. I told her for the first time. And I had waited for a long time. I, I really operate in my conviction was I don't want to tell this girl I love her um, until I'm sure that she's going to be the girl I married. So I was convinced at that, before then, I really felt confirmed, man, I'm going to marry this girl. I have a philosophy, I tell a lot of people this, that I was either going to marry her or she was going to get a restraining order. Those were the options. That was, that was it. And I'm not trying to encourage the creeper stalker out there who's like, who needed to hear that. But it worked for me. So I'm just saying, you know, do what you got to do. Um... So yeah, so that was my perspective, right? It was, it was um, I, I, I love this girl. And so I told her I love her, and her answer was neat. That's how she responded. <clears throat> Which is really what you're looking for. When you tell a girl, when you tell a girl, I love you, and she says, and that is so neat. That's exactly what you're looking for as a guy. I really didn't care, though, because my love for her wasn't conditional. Again, if she liked me back, or if she ever answered the door, I'd just be creeping outside her window for the rest of her life. Um, I didn't care if she loved me back. I loved her, so we knew it was going there. But here's my point. So the first time I told her in 2004 I love her, I have a completely different depth of definition of that word now in my relationship with my wife than I did in 2004. There's, a, a, there's all these new angles and edges and maturity to it that happens because uh, of life, because of doing life with this woman and, and the growth that's happened in my love for Danielle, now Fuquay. Um, that's awesome. So I think as we try to define love, we go our life and say, okay, how do we love the Lord more? What are these angles? What are these? That's what we want to do today. Uh, I want us to look at, at three real practical um, perspectives, three real practical stories from Acts of how they radically loved, and we're going to apply them to our life. Um, And by the way, when we talk about love, we're not just talking about radical love towards the girl you're crushing on or the guy who you want to ask you out on a date but hasn't yet. Right? Our love is much broader than that. Um, This isn't just, yeah, I loved that message. I'm going to radically love the girl that I really like. Um, We're shooting for a much broader target here. Okay. Before we get into that, um, two caveats. And these are, some of you might disagree with me, I don't care. Um, Two caveats. The first, you don't have to know someone to love them. Now, you might disagree with me there, um, and I'll argue with you. We can argue afterwards if you want. And here's what I mean by that. Um, You don't have to know someone to love them, 
by that, I, I mean, look at Paul. Paul talks about in the letter of Philippians that he loves the Philippians, right? I would wager that he doesn't know all of them, right? That there are people in the church at that time who he has love for that he doesn't know. Um, I, I would also, uh, here's an example. I love the 21 men who were martyred a couple of weeks ago for their faith. I love those men. Uh, they were by ISIS. They were, um, they were killed because of what they believe, because they are brothers. They, we, we share the same belief, and yet the same belief that we share that defines me, defines them, it costs them their life, right? Maybe their families' lives. I love those men. I cannot wait to see them one day. I can't wait to hug them and shake their hands and give them a brotherly kiss and tell them how much I appreciate them. Thank you. Man, you were an encouragement to me. You living your faith in this dangerous place, and here I am, timidly living my faith in a, in a place that is totally free. I love those men, and I don't know them, and I've never met them. I love you guys. Tyler and I, we love you guys, and I don't know most of you. I don't know most of you. Yet the Holy Spirit within me, he loves you. He loves you, and he drives my emotions, and he drives my actions, and he, he should, at least if I'm abiding in him, and so Tyler and I can stand up here unashamedly and say we love you guys because we love you, because we're run by the Holy Spirit who has a heart for you, who has called you here into this community and maybe accidentally made you wind up here tonight so you could hear this message about love and you didn't know this was going to be like a Christian thing. You thought it was a concert or a puppet show or something. I don't know what you thought. You got tricked into this, drugged, and then woke up in the back row of this, this place which is a great strategy for radically loving. I didn't put that in there, but jot that down as number four. Drug people and drag them to church. <clears throat> that, is, that is love, right? I don't have to know someone to love them. Um, now, obviously, there's depths of love, and I'm not saying that we don't love people deeper, and I'm not also not excusing that we shouldn't try to get to know people to love them more. Second caveat is you're not going to run out of love. Uh, somebody told me one time, because I say I love you a lot, somebody was like, yeah, man, you say it too much and it just kind of loses its weight and it loses its meaning. And I was like, bummer, first of all. Maybe that's true, right? Maybe that's like a communication tweak I need to... But it was almost like, yeah, you only get so many love bullets that you can use and if you overuse it, it just kind of waters it down. I disagree with that. Um, I don't see that in Scripture. I don't think we have this limited number. I think if I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit and this God who loves me so abundantly, so perfect, his love never fails, right? I, I think that love, um, we don't have this select number of bullets that we've got to choose to use. So as you leave this sermon, as we walk away with these three specific applications that you're going to go try to apply, I want to challenge you to not just say, okay, there's like three or four people that I'm going to apply this on. I don't want to overdo this. I think our love as believers should just be a Gatling gun, right? And, and I'm not saying that everyone should be extroverts, and I'm not saying that everyone should be the savvy guy who just walks up to everyone at the grocery store. And I'm not talking about personality types. I'm not talking about family background. Maybe you guys didn't say it a lot growing up in your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea that we are not going to run out of our love. If we are abiding in Christ, then it is his love through us. And we can liberally just Gatling gun. You guys know what a Gatling gun is? All the guys say yes. Half the girls who are awesome say yes. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So, um, there, uh, there we go. That, that's kind of the caveat. So, 
let me look at, uh, at what these examples are in Acts. Um, and then we're going to get back to responding and worshiping and all that kind of great stuff. Uh, in Acts, there's three stories I want to tell <clears throat> of this radical love. The first is in Acts uh, 16. Acts 16. So flip there. Um, if you don't have it, then, uh, then it'll be up on the screen here for you. Here's the story. <clears throat> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So Paul and Silas had been arrested. They'd been arrested, taken to jail uh, in Philippi. Things weren't looking good for them. So there they are, of course, doing what they do, and they're singing and worshiping God. Suddenly there was an earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Pretty cool. When... The jailer woke and saw that the, prisoner, the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. When he brought them up into his house and set food before them and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Interesting. Sitting in prison, shackled to the floor, doors closed, earthquake swings through, their shackles are free, the doors are open, and they don't escape. That's interesting. We're going to come back to that. Acts 20, verse 33. Paul says this to the Ephesians. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister, talking about his own hands, they ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul, who has every right to take a collection from these people he is serving, he goes into more detail in Acts in uh, 1 Corinthians 9. There's every right he has to take payment for bringing the gospel. They pay other ministers of the gospel. Yet he says, no, no, not with you guys. I am working my hands, I am making tents, and I'm going to pay my own way and the people who are with me. Interesting. Last one. One verse in, uh, in, verse, in chapter 20, verse 31, just a couple verses up, bring your eyes up. Therefore, be alert, Paul says, remembering that for three years, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Three years he did not cease night and day admonishing these brothers and sisters with tears. Okay. Three pictures of Paul doing crazy stuff. First one, he's in jail, weird, shackled to the floor, it talks about, and yet an earthquake comes and breaks the floor, the foundation open. So he's free to go. He doesn't go. Paul, 
if you're in the jail cell and, and you're being persecuted for your faith and the jail flings open, you would probably take that as a sign from God. Wow, I'm out of here. Thank you, Jesus. He doesn't. He stays. And he prevents the guard from committing suicide. Because the guard knew if these guys leave, which obviously he assumed, well, the gates are open. Clearly, they've, nobody's still in there. I'm going to get killed, tortured, my family killed. I'm just going to fall on my sword here, take my own life, spare my family the shame. And he says, no, 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 no. I didn't escape. He didn't leave. First thing I want you to hear about a picture of radical love. Radical love at times is illogical. Radical love at times is illogical. It didn't make sense. That doesn't, that, that's not even smart. The gates were open. You should go, Paul, go and do your thing. And he stays and he prevents a man from committing suicide and then he leads that man because that man saw this love, saw this gospel, saw this obedience that Paul had. This is the gospel to Jesus Christ. I want that. I want my family to have that. And he's converted. Radical love at times is illogical. Missionaries who leave their jobs, pack up their stuff, go awkwardly homeschool their kids on a foreign mission field, right? That doesn't make sense. Why would they do that? If, they've, if they're in the middle class America, that's such a better life, health, and you're going to have so much more comfort. It doesn't make sense that people would pack up their things and move to foreign countries to be uncomfortable and possibly persecuted. That is illogical. It doesn't make sense that 30-something years ago, a group of families in this city said, we think there is more to the city that needs to be reached, and we're going to start a church. We're going to put it all on the line, and we're going to meet at a little girls' choir building on Camp Bowie Boulevard, a few minutes from here. And we're going to start preaching the word of God because we believe it's powerful. And now, 30-something years later, Christ Chapel exists because those men took huge risks with their families and with their own personal finances because they believed that a church grounded in preaching the word of God day after day, week after week, was worth something. It was illogical. That is, uh, that's crazy. You. Who are you loving that just doesn't make sense? How are you going to love somebody in a radical way that is illogical? Somebody you go to school with that doesn't make sense that you would spend that much time with them. Right? You have lots of things to do and yet you constantly are spending time with this person and you, why would you do that? You're serving this person. You're giving to this person. Somebody at work that you are loving in a way that doesn't make sense, a family member, somebody who you have no business not holding a grudge against, maybe. You have every right to hold a grudge. It is logical that you shouldn't love that person. And yet love, radical disciples, showed illogical love at times. Second story. Giver, not receiver. Paul has every right to receive payment for, for his work. Other people at that time were receiving payment for what they were doing for the ministry of the church. And yet Paul doesn't. In this context, he says, no, I'm going I'm to work with my hands. I'm going to make tents so that I don't cause you guys to stumble. 
Radical love. Radical love should be selfless. We should be able to love radically in a way that we are givers and not takers. Givers and not takers. Um, I work with a man named Tyler Durham, and he is an amazing example of this to me. Uh, He is a leader in my life, my boss, but he is a guy who loves and leads me in a way that it's not about him. It's not about what he can get. This thing isn't built around him and his personality. He seeks other people to put them in the place that they want to be put. And it's the kind of leadership and love that's like, man, I can follow that. I can run hard after that. Who are you loving in your life selflessly? Selflessly. You're putting yourself in a place to give to them. What if it shifts at work? Right? Like, what if... um, I mean, what if the Holy Spirit convicts you and it's like, man, you should start taking up on this person's shift who's always dropping the ball. Picking up their shift lovingly, not begrudgingly, not, okay, but you owe me one, but I am just going to give to you and not receive. I have every right that we just go quid pro quo, I cover your shift, you cover mine. What if a radical disciple just said, no, I'm just going to cover your shifts. Like, Do you like it? No, I hate it, but man, I love you. Well, in school, right? If you're in college, your sororities and your fraternities, are there people in there that you can selflessly give to and not seek anything in return? What do those relationships look like in your life? And thirdly, this one verse, right? Uh, Verse 31. Remembering for three years he did not cease day or night, admonishing them with tears. That word admonishing, uh, Nuthatel is the Greek word there, and I only nerded up to say uh, that admonishing, if you've got the NIV, uh, it says warn in your Bible. He warned them for, for three years, warning them. And if you have the New Living Translation, it says that he watched and cared over them. It's the idea of advising someone about avoiding wrong, right? It's about, um, it's about the idea of saying, hey, there's pitfalls here, and I want you to steer away from them. Hey, there's something here in your life that's going to cause you death and destruction, something that's going to cause you pain. It's speaking truth into chaos. And that's what Paul does for three years with this group. And I love, I love that he's got this um, uh, modifying conjunction with tears. He says, with tears I did that. So that means it wasn't just, hey, you're doing it wrong, you're doing it wrong, watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. He does it with a heart that's breaking for these people. Radical love, three years, that is consistency. Loving someone radically at times, and I would say all times, there should be a flavor of consistency and persistence that happens. Do you love people with persistence in your life? Are there people in your life who you, um, you have said, man, I am, uh, I'm about... I'm about done with that guy. Man, I tried really hard with that one. Yeah, I, I, I tried to be real loving, and it just, he wasn't, you know, the ball's in his court, the ball's in her court. Three years with tears, he's admonishing them. Man, that's radical love. I think if we could do that as a community, I think people's lives, by the grace of God, would get changed. I think if we could be people who just persistently love family members that don't deserve it, friends, roommates, I think people's lives could get changed by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Who in your life 
Do you need to take out of that camp of the balls in their court and continue to admonish and speak truth into their life with tears, not with judgment, not with pride, not with arrogance, not with I'm doing this right, you're doing it wrong, but with tears, brokenhearted, you're headed the wrong way. You're headed the wrong way. Gosh, that is, uh, that is tough. This is not coming, this application of a, of a radical love that's illogical, uh, a radical love that's selfless, and a radical love, um, a radical love that's persistent. I am far from perfect at that. In fact, I'm not even great at that. In fact, um, by the grace of God, I have good days. And then there's the rest of the month. Um, and, um, and as I have been chewing on this particular passage of how do we really love, just get some tangible handles to apply to go out of here and say, okay, there's 50 different ways we could radically love, but let's just grab hold of a couple and do them well, Lord. As I think about that, i got to confess, I think I, I used to be better at this. Um, and I, I've got to confess, I don't know what happened, but I used to be better at it, and I just, I think I got domesticated somewhere along the way. Um, I think maybe my job, or maybe I started making excuses of loving other people was going to be secondary because I'm at a church. I don't know what happened exactly, um, but I know the last couple of days have been really convicting to me. I know when I sing about the love of God and how his love never fails, and I look back at the last few years, and I'm like, man, I, have I been loving logically? No, I've been I've been pretty much staying in the safe zone there, staying in the, my lanes there of who it's not awkward to love. Do I love selflessly? Ah. I mean, I'm kind of paid to love people, so 40 hours a week I love selflessly. Do I, do I love persistently? Man, I don't. Man, I look at people who I walked with, and I think, God, I haven't talked to those guys in years. Thank you for grace, right? Thank you that tomorrow morning is a new day. Um, we, uh, I just have domesticated my love, I think. My wife and I, we have a zoo pass, so we take our son Charlie to the zoo a lot. There's nothing sadder than the lions at the zoo. Right? I mean, they're freaking lions. And they're in cages, and they got like fake architecture and landscaping that's supposed to look like their habitat. But they're supposed to be out there like chomping up gazelles and laying around and like, walking around with Timon and Pumbaa and getting in adventures, right? And they're like stuck in a glass cage at the zoo so people can bring their one-and-a-half-year-old and look at them and point at them. And I just think, man, we have domesticated love. And I think if we stop and take a second and we can hear a talk like this and think, okay, love radically. Or we can be honest with ourselves and say, man, have we domesticated this? Do we need to just take our love off the leash and let it run let it run for the glory of God in the city and in the relationships you're in and in the places that God is at work at. Do we just need to let this thing run and take it off the leash? And I think we do. And so you have a choice. You can leave here and you can say, okay, cool, I'm going to love more logically. I'm going to find some opportunities to love. Or you can be honest with yourself. This city is hungry for the gospel. There are people who are dying this is an opportunity. This, even as a ministry, even as Renovate, how fun it is for me to get to be a part of this and for Tyler to bring me on as a, as a partner in this because this ministry in its infant stage, I mean, we're infants in this ministry, less than a year old. If we could be that kind of community, if we could be those kind of radical disciples who, yes, we've encountered, yes, we have this perspective, yes, we're building bridges, but we freaking love people well and radically, 
and invite people into this community and be a community that goes out and doesn't just settle for our come and see event, but we go out and love people that way, I think, I think the Lord could just flip this city upside down for his glory. And I would hope that nobody would give Renovate credit or Christ Chapel credit, but that for his glory, people would start to run into this contagious love that has the power to just flip things on its head. That's my hope. That is my encouragement from Acts. I see all these men who love radically. I want to love that way. I want to love that way because without it, I'm just a clanging cymbal. I'm a noisy gong. I want to love that way. Let me pray for you. Father, we don't do this by ourselves. We don't do this uh, because of a pep talk sermon. We do this because of your Holy Spirit stirs our heart. So stir our heart tonight, God. May we be people who love in seasons that don't make sense, that we love selflessly and we're constantly fighting to be givers and not takers, and that, God, there would be a persistence in our love that only you can provide that kind of persistence. Only you can provide that kind of consistency. So would we be people that draw close to your face and your heart for us, and that we'd hear your heart for the people of this city, the people in our communities, the people in our families, the people of this world that you have for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.